Hey everyone, this is Cassius Velchel, and you're listening to Homeroom, a podcast for students looking to break into the startup space. And today, we're speaking with the co-founder and CEO of Sherry, Ishmael Belkayed. So Ishmael is a serial entrepreneur from Morocco and is now creating his third company as a response to the needs of retailers throughout the pandemic. The company grew so fast that it was accepted to Y Combinator, Plug and Play, and also invested in by Airbnb Angels. Given his experience, we're excited to see what he cares about most in company building and what to be mindful of in the early days. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Ishmael. So quickly about myself, I'm Ismael. I'm born and raised in Morocco. I left when I was 17, first to Europe for my undergrads, and then ended up in upstate New York at Cornell University for my grad studies. Right after it, I worked for uh, the Boston Consulting Group as a a senior consultant, first in the office of, and then moved to Casablanca. And I was one of the first two consultants to open the office of Casablanca. I worked there a few years before basically realizing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and that I wanted to do things myself instead of advising other guys to to do it. We were in 2013 and back at that time, the startup scene in Morocco was nascent and nothing was ready as an ecosystem. So obviously it was harder for an entrepreneur to start back at that time than it is today. But still, when you are passionate about something, you just try. And this is probably one of the, uh, let's say, any great entrepreneur has to get some courage and try even even if there are many obstacles. Morocco, for instance, uh, we have a lot of mom and pop shops, right? In which usually people go get their daily groceries. When you guys in the US go to uh, Walmart, here in Morocco and uh, in developing countries, we go to the next shop next to our door, right? Uh, 90% of the consumption, the fast moving consumer goods consumption goes to these uh, small shops. So basically these guys are struggling with with the procurement. So we are basically providing them with a one-stop shop app, allowing them to find everything they need and get delivered in less than 24 hours. Now, do you have a heavy technical background? I'm always curious to know how people started these companies too. Was this this kind of technology something that you did at BCG? Was this kind of a whole new realm that you had to understand and develop when you went down that entrepreneurship path? Can you talk to us a little bit about that as well? It's a good question. I meet with a lot of founders to be or wanting to, willing to be, who keep asking me about uh, my technological background and knowledge, thinking that uh, if you can't code yourself, you can't be a great founder because they hear a lot about the Mark Zuckerberg's uh, right kind of founders who they've seen the movie in which he was coding. And but just to be honest, uh, myself, I have no idea about how uh, a line of code. Though it doesn't mean that uh, I don't understand how basically tech is done. It just means that I am not an engineer behind the coding. I am someone who understands the products as, you know, a user, when I use a new app, I make sure to understand uh, 
the user interface to understand the parcours client, as we say in, in French, the way you, you basically use it. And I keep thinking how the designer have thought in order to come up with this feature at this place and so on. And uh, when I was working at BCG, we had a lot of digitizing products, uh, projects, right? It's the tendency today, many big clients of these big uh, strategy consulting firms ask for consultants to come and help with turning what was before non-digital into being digital. So I use this knowledge and expertise to meet with great coders and uh, and the tech guys uh, that I convinced to join the adventure and who are today my either co-founders or close co-workers who basically are the ones taking care of, of the IT part. Myself, I take care of the, of again, the product uh, itself. Just make sure not to spend too much time into uh, coding a great uh, product that would uh, fit the needs of your clients with a lot of features and so on. So the best way to do it is basically to come up with the Luzi MVP that is uh, easy to make, uh, quick to, to, to come out to it and uh, have it been tried by the users so they can basically get back to you and tell you what's working and what's not. Again, this is why I feel that being a great uh, tech guy may not help you be a great entrepreneur at the beginning because as a tech guy, you would love to have a perfect product and you won't accept to go on the trade with something that is not working really well. But when you are not a great coder and you don't care about how the code is made behind, what you only want is go check if there is a market that would answer you, your service or product. Please, if you are not a tech guy, don't think that you can succeed. I believe that you can even succeed better if you are not a tech guy than if you are. Talk to us about how you assembled that team then and what have you looked for in candidates as the company has grown? When you are a single founder and you are looking for a co-founder, there are two main things that you should look for. I would say three main things. The first thing is obviously someone with whom you will have a lot of fun, right? Imagine that you will marry this person and that you will spend probably half of your time with the person because, again, you work for long hours during the, at the beginning of a startup. So this person will take two-thirds of your uh, time. So if you don't have fun uh, with this person, just don't think of doing any kind of association uh, with, with this person. The, the second thing I would look at is basically how uh, optimistic is the person. Entrepreneurship is a kind of emotional roller coaster. And in the same day, you can feel like you are the superman of uh, superhero building the next uh, unicorn of your region. And two hours later, just feeling that you are wasting your time into building something that will never work. And obviously, the most difficult times are when you are down. And what you are looking to find into a great co-founder is the emotional help to take you out of the hole when you are down emotionally and vice versa. This is why I tend to advise all those people who are looking for a co-founder to basically find optimistic people who would help you out feel better when you feel bad. And then the third and probably the most important thing that you should look at when you choose your co-founder 
is obviously how complementary is the person to you. Obviously, you don't want to, it's easier to take someone like you because you will get along with the person. You are the same kind of people liking and loving the same things. But unfortunately, you again won't make something great. So you have to find someone who has basically the skills that you don't and who doesn't have the skills that you have. So you don't overlap. And make sure, please, to take a better version of yourself. Again, because you want to be surrounded by people who are smarter than you. And this is how you succeed. Absolutely. When assembling that team, I was watching this interview with Peter Thiel. And he, when he was creating PayPal, he said he didn't allow anyone to focus on more than one thing at a single given time. How do you maintain that razor-like focus while still like having fun on the job, enjoying the people that you're around? Like, How do you maintain those kinds of dynamics? Peter Thiel is a superstar, and I'm afraid to say that I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with what he said. But the, the, the reason being that when you are an entrepreneur in developing countries, sometimes you have other obstacles that people in developing countries don't necessarily face. So what Peter Thiel is saying is probably true in your part of the world, but not necessarily in, in Morocco. And let me explain why. Again, we don't have an ecosystem that is helping you succeed uh, the same way you guys succeed in the US. And one of the issues is that you don't necessarily find a founding easily. Or when you find it here, you have to convince business angels to come to your top cap table. But again, they ask for a lot of equity and sometimes even for the control of the company. When in the US, you have the safe convertible notes allowing any founder to easily get the money. So the consequence in Morocco and in emerging country not being able to raise money on a pre-seed round easily uh, makes us need to hire people who would do a lot of stuff in a sense that you want them to be multitaskers. You want them to help you out with all your, and basically you want to make sure that you bootstrap, right? And that you save as much mo money as you want. So you won't start with hiring an expert of each field, because if you do that, you will run out of cash really quickly. In my case, I always started with people who are basically able to help me out without being experts in a lot of fields. And when we get to the traction that allows us to raise some money, that's when I switch my mentality from being who I am to being uh, Peter Thiel and uh, hiring uh, great experts with deep expertise in what they do. On that topic, though, you have been backed by some of the top investors in North America and abroad as well. So what was that tipping point? Yeah, so we were uh, lucky enough to uh, bring in our cap table some uh, big names, such as, uh, yeah, such as obviously Y Combinator, but also uh, Plug and Play, Orange Digital Ventures, Global Founders Capital, Rocket Internet, uh, Village Capital, and the Airbnb Angels. And by the way, you were speaking about Brian Chesky. A great Ivy League university that came also on our cap table. So yes, uh, we are quite happy. So... Again, not to sound too pretentious, obviously we did a great job bringing them in, but again, when you look at the number of targets that exists in North Africa, 
there are not so many startups in which uh, these guys can invest. So obviously we were lucky to be one of these uh, few companies that could attract them. And obviously through all the calls we had with them and through uh, the visits uh, we made to uh, the West Coast, we realized how the mindset is completely different there and how these people make you trust yourself, uh, have confidence in what you do. This is probably one of the most important quality a founder should have in order to succeed. Because as you, succeeding is not a, a matter of luck, it's not a matter of money, it's more a matter of not giving up. And in order to not give up, you have to believe in what you do, believe in, in yourself. And this confidence comes also from the people who are around you. So obviously your co-founders, who we talked about earlier, your family and friends, but also your investors. And I really believe that one of the reasons why you have so many great successful uh, startups in the US and in the, more particularly in the Silicon Valley is because you have before everything great investors, business angels and VCs who not only invest in companies, but who uh, coach the entrepreneurs to become great founders and to never give up. And the best example is obviously Y Combinator. These guys are just uh, amazing on how basically they train you to be a better person. And that willingness to fail, I'm always really impressed with how founders perceive failure because they really don't see anything as a loss. They see it as a learning opportunity. Yeah, yeah. First of all, in, in entrepreneurship, you, you never lose. You either win or learn. So based on that, I obviously advise anyone who is debating on whether to become an entrepreneur or stay working where he is to obviously try because at the end of the day, again, he can't lose. No, the real question is, is it a good idea to basically keep trying on a service that doesn't work. And many people who hear, again, successful entrepreneurs never give up, tend to think that their idea is the right idea and they kept working on it. To these guys, what I say is those who succeed are those who understand when a service works and when it doesn't. So obviously everyone wants to reach the product market fit. And in order to reach the PMF, you obviously have to challenge yourself, to open your eyes on what's working and on what's not working, to um, define what are the KPIs, the right KPIs that shows a success from a failure. Obviously, you many entrepreneurs who raise a lot of money use this money to do marketing so they have more traction and more users. But when you find out that the, you pay more for these users as uh, than what they bring you, this is not success. No, it does. And I wanted to talk about that con that idea of product market fit. How did you and your team at Cherry iterate, especially during COVID, when a lot of small businesses were impacted given the consequences of the virus? No, no. I have a funny answer to this question. Uh, because No, the question is not funny, but the, 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 my answer is because... I made all the mistakes 
an entrepreneur shouldn't do uh, when I started sharing. Reason being that I found out about the problem, right? Because being a great entrepreneur is finding out about the problem and then finding the right solution. But I found the problem, but couldn't find the solution. The problem was I went to see a mom and pop shop next to my place. And while I was trying to buy something from him, a supplier came, which is the truck of Coca-Cola. And the sales guy spent time with my shop owner. So myself, I was left waiting. So I thought maybe I should go. So many clients leave. So the shop owner has a has a, a market opportunity or an opportunity cost. So he has to decide between selling or buying. And at the same time, during the day, he has some idle time in which he has nothing to do. So I thought maybe I could give them a tool to help them get the procurement when they have nothing to do. And after four months, I came back to my shop owner asking him to uh, install the app. And I just realized that the app was too developed for the old smartphone he had. And that all the shop owners in Morocco had really old smartphones. And the app that I had wasn't working for them. And still, when I got those clients who had new phones and could install the app, I discovered that they were not tech savvy at all. And that any app that has many features won't work for them because they want something simple. So I had to come back to the office and spend another two, two weeks revamping the app with something that is much easier to use, with less text, with bigger... And it took me only two weeks. So I could have started the company four months earlier if I didn't spend the four months working on features that never got used by the shop owners. So, yeah, so the message here, guys, is please, when you do something, come up with one feature and go try it on the market. Make sure that it's going to work before building on it. <laughs> That's a, I'd like that story, though. Sometimes too much can be, it can be counterproductive. So when did you know it could work? Was it after that second iteration of the features? When did things really start taking off? For Sherry? Yes, it's a, it's a good question. I'll, I'll tell you, I knew that would work. Again, I started with the, just a proof of concept in one neighborhood of one city. And I handpicked a few users based on the size of their shop, the kind of the phones they had, and the type of clients uh, they, they, they have, and had them try uh, the app. So obviously the normal KPIs someone would uh, be following is number of users, uh, GMV, uh, churn, and so on. But in my very case, the main KPI that made me believe that I had my finger on the right opportunity is when some of these guys to whom I gave a normal shitty app to start ordering what they wanted, started calling me to ask me if I could improve the app with features such as they want to know their last order so they can do the same, add uh, an SKU to a special basket so they can pay it later during the day. So this is when you feel that you are making something people want. So the real sign is when you turn your clients into becoming your CPOs, your chief product officers. 
And this is why she keeps saying that spend time with your client, understand better what your client wants. The, the, the best thing that could happen to any founder is to find clients who are participative to your product by sending you a lot of advice on how you could improve the product. And this is when I, I really felt that, that, that I was on into something. Yeah, absolutely. Switching topics a little bit here, you've started three successful businesses. Do you have any books, articles? Do you follow any specific people? Where do you turn to inspiration? So I, 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 I succeeded in three startups, but what I uh, forgot to say is that I failed in many others. Keep that in mind so you don't think that you, I am above average. I'm just someone who tried a lot before succeeding. And then I'll tell you, when you are a startup, obviously you have a lot on your plate and a lot to do. But still, you want to find the right time to do some sports, but also to read about uh, inspiring people. And in my case, I love to read personal development books. So the solution I found that I advise many people to follow is to download uh, an app. So myself, I'm reading in French. So the app is called Cooper, which is basically an app that allows you to listen to summaries of great books. So every single night before I go to bed and before sleeping, I put my headphones and I listen to a book and I try obviously to vary the, the subjects, but I make sure the, when I wake up the day after to remember what I learned from the book I heard the night before. And I sometimes write down the main, the key messages that is basically a list that I go check from time to find out about everything I learned that I feel that could help me in my life. And honestly, it, it works for me. So uh, this is an advice I, I can give to anyone who listens to us. This concludes today's conversation with the CEO of Sherry, Ishmael Belkaid. If you like this episode, be sure to give it a download, as well as a reading and review wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host, Cassius Felicella. Thanks for listening.